Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. Boom. Simon Maywin, we're back for the 12th episode of the Keep It Real series. Can you believe that it's been a year, my friend? It has been a year. Well, hey, it's been a year. Right? It's, it's, it's been, been a year. A year. So, <laughs> it's yeah. been a year. Well put, well put. It's been a year. And finally, after one year, the new book, Lead With We by Simon Maywaring will be released. And now it's pre-order time, isn't it? It is pre-order time. It's right there. It'll ship on Tuesday. And I don't know, why am I excited? Firstly, it's a big effort doing it. And my wife and kids are like, can we have you back now? Seriously, can you like be present with us? But the other thing is everyone, understandably, is concerned about the future. We've just had COP26 all week. And you see these headlines, catastrophe, and we're digging our own graves and so on. At the same time, this is the most exciting time for business that I could ever imagine in the sense that we are waking up to the innovation opportunity and the reinvention opportunity right in front of us, right in front of us, so that we actually work with nature rather than against it. We solve for all these issues. And so, you know, the book is really about a blueprint that you can execute against about how you get it done. And for me to be able to get that in people's hands after 10 years of work at We First and being really lucky to do this purpose work and scaling work with all these different companies and to give it in the book, I, it's really meaningful to me because I feel like I'm doing something useful. I'm doing something that's gonna really be transformative for people's business. That's why I'm excited. It's just like when you've got something that you think can be really of value and you can get it out there, that's really rewarding. You know? Oh, absolutely. And you know, we, we see it every single day in the news, uh, the world's on fire, this, this, and that, and that's the why. And, and the entrepreneurs in this world and the capitalists in this world go, ah, this is a great opportunity to make some money. And so I think this blueprint is a great way to understand how to do that. And it's all starting with, with purpose. Like uh, Larry Fink says at BlackRock, the number one thing they're looking forward to is purpose. And if you think about the personal connection 
that a lot of SMEs, small, medium enterprises that consist of around 90% of our U.S. economy, you think about the personal connection and what purpose that they need to have when they exit the company. Uh, it's, an, it's entirely, uh, it's a business tactic. It's a strategy uh, and it's the how, it's the blueprint. So Simon, walk us through a little bit of this book. I just received it yesterday in the mail. Thank you. Uh, to, to I don't, I'm surprised you're not, like you probably stayed up all night reading it, right? You're exhausted. You've had no sleep. I, I would imagine nothing less. No. I got um, about, about four pages in before this. That's about yeah, right. There we go. No, I mean, here's the thing. We all want to get it done. We all want to solve for these issues because just imagine all these challenges we face, whether it's fires in Greece, fires in Australia, fires here in California or whatever. None of us wants this in our future, let alone coronavirus and all these other issues, social inequities. But we also got to grow our business. So all it is is that the context has changed. This is not like the 1990s or 2000s. Business as usual won't work. A, because it'll make things worse, and B, because the marketplace won't reward it. Why? Because consu investors, consumers, and employees want to work for, buy from, and invest in companies doing good. So we're actually at this really exciting moment where you can show up in a really meaningful way to address an issue that's specific to your brand, authentic, and relevant to your brand in ways that will drive business growth. And I'll just draw a couple of distinctions here that are really important and foundational to the book. One thing is, We've all got to show up in your business as a founder, as a solopreneur, as a CEO of a major corporation. Why? Because we got into this mess together. Like, you know, your actions, Kevin, my actions, Simon, you know, we've got to change them because it's the, the aggregate of all of those actions that creates the situation that we're in. So, so that's what I mean, firstly, when we need to lead. We've all got to lead, whether you're in payroll, R&D, sales, a CEO, a founder, a consumer, an investor, a voter, we've all got to show up for our future. Secondly, we've got to do it with as many people as possible. And what I mean by that is in our work for 10 years with companies like Tom's and Timberland and startups and so on, one of the self-limiting factors that I observed was that you can understandably sort of see why people only work with those stakeholders closest to them. So I work with my suppliers my employees, my customers. But what that does is it puts a sort of self-imposed limit on how much impact you're going to have. And if we're going to accelerate and scale our response through business to address these issues like carbon or plastic or anything else, we're all going to have to work together more effectively. Mm -hmm. So we've got to expand our minds as to how wide our width is in terms of who we work with, the collaborators, partners. And then finally, we've really got to think in terms of the we, what is the largest number of people and the planet that we can impact in a positive way? And the reason I framed it this way is a lot of this language around do good business is a bit wonkish. And all the research shows that people struggle to understand what it is. ESG, B Corp, um, uh, the sustainable development goals, it can be a little bit heady. Lead with we is a simple, simple practical tool you can use, whether you're the CEO or the procurement or whether you're a salesperson, you just go, with this decision right now, whatever it is, how can I make sure that I lead in my capacity with as many people as possible to have the greatest we in terms of impact? And that can be applied in Cape Town in South Africa, Sydney, Australia, Los Angeles, California, in whatever role you're in. So it's a point of departure. It's a process by which you get it done. 
and it's the higher end aspiration. So lead with we, yeah. How does one lead with we though? Internally in an organization, how, how do you, you know, galvanize a team around this core concept day in, day out? Yeah. Well, a couple of answers to that. One is you've got to define your purpose in the first place, which is why you exist as a company. And we've talked about this on previous episodes, but it's foundational to your whole business, not just communications, but your whole business. And then you've got to keep that alive through a regular kind of repetition. It could be all hands meetings once a month or once a quarter. It could be an annual volunteering tradition. It could be in company newsletters and CEO speeches or founders messages. So you've got to keep the priority around the role you're playing in front of people so that they know it's important. That's number one. But then how do you lead with we? Let me give you some concrete examples so it doesn't seem like theory. Firstly, think about the coronavirus and how everyone showed up so differently in their company. Prior in February 2020, I'm oversimplifying here, most companies, you know, they'd look after their people as employees, they'd give benefits and so on and so on and pay rises and so on. But after that, we all of us were showing up in terms of the whole human being for our employees, like our mental health and well-being and how we're doing working from home and how we're struggling with all the emotional challenges of COVID-19. So one part of that is seeing that these aren't just job titles walking through the door. These are people with mm. lives and kids and challenges and stress. Mm. But then more specific than that, let me give you some examples. Um, Walmart, one of the largest companies in the world, has recently announced a big project called Project Gigaton to take a gigaton of carbon out of the air. And so they're working, collaborating, innovating with the we of their suppliers to make that possible. One example. Another example, which is look at Deloitte, which is one of the biggest consulting firms in the world. They are investing the time and money to train their 330,000 employees about the climate crisis so that they can respond more effectively on behalf of their clients. So they're investing in that. You know, they're thinking of the larger we, their clients, and then everyone who's going to be affected by um, climate. Another example, Starbucks during COVID. They went out there and said that there were free therapy sessions and also catastrophe pay for their employees to help people navigate through the challenge of the pandemic. So these are all different ways, whether it's you know working with your suppliers in new ways, really seeing the whole human being with your employees and giving them catastrophe pay or supporting them in new ways, or whether it's collaborating with your employees and saying, hey guys, we wanna show up, our purpose is X. So we wanna address this issue and we wanna show up more meaningfully how can we co-create this? How can we do it together? Instead of it's the idea of the CEO, or we'll get to it later after we've made money, or it's just the R&D team, but make it a co-creative collaborative exercise. It makes a lot of sense. And I think what it does is create a lot of alignment, you know, yeah. whether it's with recruiting the right people to your organization, whether it's the culture itself, feeling like an actual human being. Uh, being treated like one, you know, that rubs off yeah. on you as an employee to then treat others with respect. And then when you become yeah. a leader, treat the others how you were treated. Uh, it's very true. I mean, look at the great resignation right now. All these people just bailing on their jobs because they don't find them meaningful. If you're an employer and you want to keep your business going, you've got to show up in a way that people say, I want to be a part of that. You know? 
Mm-hmm. You know, I heard a story from a friend of mine who you know, worked for a, let's just say, a large sports entertainment uh, organization that everyone's heard of. And they're making making a lot of cuts, payroll cuts, and uh, not being treated so well. But they're an organization, Simon, and I just want to know your thoughts on this. They're an organization that's going to continue to be able to recruit regardless of um, the time. I mean, it's just that sure. well-known of a brand that sure. people feel in alignment to the actual sport itself. Yep. Uh, what do you say about those large organizations that kind of look at their employees maybe as a number figure and, and understand that they're going to be able to bring in people to do the same job just as well um, without having to make a pay raise or, or treat them any better? Yeah, it's sort of like, what about those companies that get a free pass just because who they are, right? You know, mm. they don't have to show up. I think there's some in the sports world that are like that. I also think there's some in the entertainment world just because of the whole cult of celebrity and so on. Here's the reality. All the data shows that especially with younger demographics, millennials and Gen Z, Gen Z, they're increasingly choiceful about where they work. And the reason businesses need to show up and respond, whoever they are, to these issues is it affect, it's affecting, it's not just about doing it good in the world and because our future is compromised. Here's where it's affecting the business. Their supply chain, they can't grow the cotton to make the t-shirt to sell. Or it's affecting their ability to attract the talent, although you say these things have such appeal that they might be able to just attract anyone they want. But it will affect their culture. It will affect the retention mm. of those people. It'll also affect their reputation because here's what's happening. Through my line of sight, working with small and large companies in and around activating their purpose, these issues we're solving for are not getting smaller or they're not sitting there in the future just waiting there passively for us to arrive and then address them. They're getting bigger and they're hurtling back towards us in the present. Mm. And what's going to happen is there's this hockey stick of expectation coming on all brands, all businesses. I mean, just think about in the last 18 months how business has shown up differently in terms of caring for its employees, you know, mandating health protocols, um, looking after first responders. I mean, we changed what we're doing because of a crisis. I don't think there's any company out there, sports, entertainment, or otherwise, that won't be directly affected by either A, the impact of climate. For example, the National Hockey League is really concerned because they're on the ice business and the ice rinks and all that sort of thing. A lot of the athletes in all the sporting brands have causes and foundations that they're committed to. When more and more companies are leaning into the role they're playing in the world and somebody isn't, it's going to reflect poorly on them hmm. in terms of their talent, their reputation. And I mean, look at the, I think it's the Green Bay Packers. Hmm. that are all about being green and, and solar panels on their roofs and so on. As these issues become more present in our daily lives in the next three to five years, the tolerance for companies that are just sitting on their hands and CEOs who aren't saying anything is getting less. And I'll give you a couple of data points because I don't want this to sound like my theory. Mm-hmm. Look at the president of Brazil, who's now being charged with crimes you know, by the International Court of Justice because of his burning of the Amazon. And he's the president. And there's those in Brazil who want him up on homicide charges for the consequences of what he's done to the Amazon. Look at the accountability, like look at two weeks ago, 1,400 employees at McKinsey, one of the largest consulting firms in the world, wrote an open letter to their leadership saying, we do not want you to have these oil and gas companies as clients. 
because they're compounding the climate crisis. So your own employees are protesting publicly against what the leadership is doing. All of this is to say that these, are, these issues are bigger than all of us, Kevin. And I don't think there's any CEO, any brand that can avoid it now, but certainly not within the next three to five years. Mm, okay, so no brand, you're saying like no brand is, is climate or social justice change resistant. Yeah, did, any, did anyone escape COVID? Was anyone untouched by COVID? Some companies did well, but they mm. still had to protect their people. You know? Right. No, definitely. And I like what you're saying about like, you know, it, it hurling back to us from the future. And I yeah. heard a great uh, example from Barney Swans, um, yeah, who did like a 180 mile trek or something like that to uh, Antarctica. I spoke with him in one of my first interviews. He was saying, you know, climate change has this ripple effect. You know, it's it's happening now, but we're not going to experience the the uh, catastrophes uh, for another 20 years, which is actually a very scary thought. Yeah. Um, they're speaking yeah. a lot about that right now at COP26. And one of the most um, prevalent topics, I would say, have been the idea of a carbon market, uh, a carbon market price uh, set for carbon credits. What are your, what is your, your insights on the carbon market right now? Um, and what are your thoughts on how companies should approach uh, purchasing carbon offsets? Well, I think the requirement that everyone reduces their carbon footprint is absolute because we created what we're doing in the, you know, in, in the skies above us and nature's just responding accordingly. It's, it's showing up with extreme weather, weather patterns, te ocean temperatures are all changing and it's going to affect our lives adversely. But you're seeing things like Eco Skies now, which is a coalition of all the major airlines saying that business travelers can pay to offset their carbon footprint when they travel. There's also uh, Good, uh, Goodwell, I think it's called. There's a, a, a travel company that books hotels and allows you to offset your carbon mm. footprint. But here's the problem. If you are just offsetting your carbon footprint and, the, and those carbon offsets are being traded in markets and so on, you're just kicking the can down the road. You're just swapping one problem for another. Mm. You've got to reduce your carbon footprint as well. Like I said, with Walmart and Project Gigaton, or if you're a B Corp, if you're like a tiny company of five people and you're a B Corp, they look at your carbon footprint and how you can improve you know, the reduction of that and so on. Because we're all in this together. We all created this mess and we've all got to get out of it together. And here's what we fail to realize. As much as these issues are compounding in the future and getting worse and coming back towards us, the good works we do, that you do, Kevin, that I do, that I do what we first, that Real Leaders does, we do that, they will connect and compound. And so will others' efforts and so on and so on. And what we haven't seen yet is the synergies and compounding effect of all of the good efforts that are going on. And the reason I wrote Lead with We is about the need for collaborative leadership, which is how do we work, live, and grow together in new ways that restore and protect the natural and social systems on which we all depend. Mm. So it's all about being a force multiplier. But sometimes it's hard because we sit there and go, oh, what could my company do? Or what could I do as a founder of like two people? But every single little choice you make will be a part of the you know, momentum that we create together. The same way that every choice we've made as people in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s have led to this mess that we're in. And I just want to say, ask yourself, you could be the most cynical person in the world. There's only one, one of three scenarios here. No one does anything different 
things get worse. And in not my words, the words of Boris Johnson, we're digging our own graves or the UN code red for humanity. We're just going to have to eat it. It's going to be horrible, catastrophic, horrible in our daily lives. Second scenario, half the people do something good and half keep doing what they're doing. That won't work either because we either won't change fast enough or the good work will be undone by the bad work, right? It's just dumb simple. Or we go, wait a second, we're all one human family. We all need this planet. All the choices that we make every day in terms of plant-based diet, what car we drive, what bank we put our money into, what company we vote for, uh, what uh, party we vote for, what company we work for. Every one of those is a little lever of change that we can be much more intentional about. In the same way that all, all of these companies were so bad because they didn't tell us the carbon footprint of what they were making. We didn't know. If you told mothers and families and citizens that the negative impact of what they were buying decades ago, we wouldn't have bought those products. But no one's been telling us. And now we're seeing carbon calculators everywhere and people falling over themselves to equip consumers with the knowledge to make better choices. So that third scenario is each of us needs to lead with all the hats that we wear in life, father, brother, voter, consumer, boss, employee. And then together we will aggregate that. And the book lays out how you build that through on an individual level as a leader inside a company, its culture, the community in which you work at a societal level and pulls it all the way through and shows you how to do it. So let, let's talk about that a little bit more then. Um, you know, it, it, is, it, it is a moral obligation, I think, but also what's scary about that is when you, when you put it in the moral terms, um, you know, it, it's very polarizing to people. You have a good and you have a bad when you sure. think about morality. Is there another example in, in your lifetime that you can think of that was kind of, this not maybe not radical, but this idea, this concept. Whether you look back, you know, um, la labor unions gave us uh, the weekends, right? People were kind of against that. Employers were against that. We don't want to uh, give off two days to our employees while we're still paying them. And now everyone's tacitly agreed that this is an agreement that we can all fall upon. Is there is there a comparison to this yeah. climate uh, idea that you have where? And maybe your thought process is, you know, uh, we have this giant world and it's up to you to take care of your you know, little corner of it, right? Yeah, um, I think there's some, there's some really powerful examples because if you don't have them, this can sound like Pollyanna or naive or, look, you're just foolish. We all know it needs to happen. It's never going to happen. That's not what people do. Firstly, I'll draw one distinction. Part of being a human being is there's healthy self-interest, like I'm self-interested for my health and well-being and my life. And then there is selfishness, where your success comes at the cost of others. And I think we need to diminish the selfishness, but really lean into the self-interest because having a planet to live on and mm. solving issues like you know homelessness and social inequities helps everybody. So this is all about capitalism and being self-interested in the right sense. Secondly, I would say, you know, in terms of um, the issues or, or how you address it, I think all of us need to show up in a way where we recognize that the if the whole breaks down, the parts can't thrive. And what's happening right now is the natural world is breaking down. And to your point about, you know, climate crisis, but also loss of biodiversity, all these species we're losing, there's a certain point, they call it the silent killer, after which 
because links in the chain of the, the all the species in the world are breaking down, everything will break down. Everything will start disappearing. So when the whole breaks down, you know, the parts can't thrive. Same with our social systems, disparity of wealth, you know, racial injustice and so on and so on. So we need to shore up the whole so the parts, you know, can thrive. Examples from the past. Um, polio, where there was a massive global effort to get rid of polio. World War II, where, you know, when the US entered, um, you know, finally, finally joined into, you know, participating with the allies, there was a mandate that went out, basically that all automakers stopped making cars and started making tanks and munitions and so on, mm. almost overnight, suspended what they were doing because there was a need. Another example, um, after 9-11, the tragedy that was 9-11, suddenly all there was almost no airplanes in the sky, something that was unthinkable prior to that, everyone coordinated and showed up completely differently and the skies were clear over the US for a period of time. Another example, recycling. You know, it used to be just, you just throw stuff out your car window, right? You'd see it all the time when I was growing up and everyone was like, that's what you do, right? And then it was like, don't mess with Texas and all these other things. And this whole global movement with green bins and blue bins, it's not perfect, but that was a massive shift. Mm. COVID. I mean, if you told us in February 2020 that almost every business around the world will close its doors, people will work from home, they'll stop, they'll re-engineer their supply chains to make PPE equipment or meals for medical practitioners, you wouldn't have believed it. And here's the larger point. We show up differently when we're in a crisis. COVID, we all showed up differently. We wear masks, we get vaccinations, we work from home. We are in a state of constant crisis moving forward. And we are going to show up differently. And I'm incredibly optimistic, and here's why. Survival instinct. I think we all want to keep on going rather than mm. go out of business mm -hmm. as a species. I would Exponential, hope so. I hope so. Exponential technologies that allow us to provide solutions at scale like never before. Younger demographics who are just so passionate about solving for this stuff. This, this legion of entrepreneurs out there whose businesses are started to solve these issues, not make money and then give money to these issues, but solve these issues. Um, we haven't done any of these things well. Any one of those well, let alone all of them at once. And so I think there's a lot of precedence for humanity showing up differently. The stakes have never been higher and we're out of time. So I do think it's, it's a very reasonable thing to expect. And just think about it. The money manager, you know, Larry Fink, Business Roundtable, CEOs of B Corps, they're all talking a different game now. Mm. Everybody is saying we need to do something differently. So it's already underway. And, and I'd, I'd be naive to think there wouldn't be any, you know, belly aches from CEOs or investors sure. or anything like that. You know, if something, which I think what, was what we're talking about here, you know, you mentioned a lot of different examples is involuntary versus voluntary action, as well as, you know, let's break that down a bit further, the leadership to drive and influence voluntary versus involuntary. I think right now, we're in this uh, voluntary state, right? Voluntary carbon credits, yeah. voluntary action, voluntary leadership. It's voluntary for Greta Thunberg to be out there um, being a leader in this sense, calling out politicians because we need to act now and we're not acting fast enough. Um, and how do we act fast enough? Your example from World War II is a great one. 
uh, involuntary. You know, it's a mandate, if you will. Um, but, you know, obviously that has been a, a very polarizing, you know, uh, term mandate uh, for, yeah. for half of the country. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on a carbon tax. And I'm just yeah. strictly speaking because carbon is the main climate issue and, and it's number number one. I'd say it's number two on my list. I think water is going to be the most uh, threatening issue mm -hmm. to us. But let's just talk about carbon for an instance. Um, you talk about actual um, uh, self-interest and capitalism, entrepreneurs. I believe it would be in the best interest of the United States to impose a carbon tax. And here's why. Um, we are investing a ton of money into the green energy sector right now. And so if we're able to do that at scale and we're able to uh, tax importers on their carbon, such as who? China, who? India, mm -hmm. you know, we are going to control and who's going to come along with us, our allies, let's say the UK, uh, Europe, Australia, um, anyone who is dependent right now on us for oil and energy. If we impose a carbon tax down the line, uh, I think it really separates us and is a great profit generator for the United States government as well as domestic producers here in the United States. What are your thoughts on a carbon tax, a voluntary, uh, sorry, involuntary carbon tax uh, on the United States? And yeah, I think that I think as a function of these issues getting worse, the shift from voluntary to involuntary will happen. Like right now, they're already talking in the Biden administration about involuntary ESG reporting where every major publicly traded company will have to talk about, you know, the impact of its supply chain and so on and so on, environmental, social and governance issues. Specific to a carbon tax, I think in some ways it kicks the can down the road because yes, it's a great revenue driver and it can enable infrastructure and energy transformation and so on. At the same time, if a company is willing to absorb that cost, they can keep doing what they're doing or in a country or company. Then again, I also think though that, um, we need to reduce our carbon footprint above and beyond a carbon tax as well. I don't think that is a silver bullet that's gonna solve everything. But I also think it's a really powerful signal to the marketplace that what has always been possible for the last five or five decades, if not hundred years, is now no longer possible. It is in the sort of don't column. It's a bad kind of, in the bad column in terms of the equation about what makes up the sum of our lives. And so I think it's a very, very important signal. I also think as the first sort of break in the dam that has protected a lot of those industries and companies that have created a lot of part of the problem in the first place, it's very important because once that dam breaks, then another and another and another. So yes, we need it. It's not enough on its own. It's an important signal to the marketplace and it'll start a cascading effect. And what's going to happen is several things. Government is going to, you know, through regulation and policymaking, increasingly penalize companies, states, local communities for not responding because they've made public commitments to reduction in carbon emission and greenhouse gases themselves. The government's the US, they just did it COP26 this week. So it's going to be punitive in a dollar sense for companies to make that harder for the country to do it. So I think it's going to happen. There's no way to avoid it. But at the end of the day, sometimes I think we're just all crazy. We're crazy. We are arguing about how quickly or how effectively we're going to make it possible for us to survive. Like, you know, when you watch a space, like a science fiction movie, and they're on a spaceship, and they're five galaxies away, 
and there's a life support system that provides oxygen. And there's that one bad crew member who is trying to, I don't know, dismantle the life support system. Where all of that, what are we doing? What are we doing? What more do we need to see out there in terms of the challenges we face with climate, COVID, BLM, for us to go, hmm, this isn't working very well in terms of our future. Mm. Like, I really do struggle with that. So how long we take, how long we kick the can down the road is only going to come at a cost to those companies because their employees, their customers, their investors are going to penalize them for it. I want to uh, break down ESG investing because I think you do a good job of touching on the investor's uh, role and influence on Lead With We and how that's going yeah. to galvanize. And I think investors are right now increasingly trying to understand this ESG impact investing space. And I want to put a slash between ESG and impact investing because they're different. I've had it explained to me as ESG is more of a risk lens. Are they checking boxes? Uh, no, 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 no. Do they have it? Uh, are they focused on the environment? Are they doing this, this, and that? Um, which some investors like and some uh, investors don't. I think it's more of a risk lens. Uh, will this company fall in the future because of rising tensions uh, or a call on carbon tax or anything like that, right? Uh, adjusting and hedging risk. Now, impact investing is more of a forward-looking, uh, I'd say, investment strategy that is more intentional on the actual investment itself, um, not having to check a lot of boxes, but um, providing funds to uh, entrepreneurs and organizations that weren't there initially. Um, that's closing the gap of uh, this financing gap that we need. What do you talk about in your book, Lead With We, about the role of impact investing and investors to, to, to make this shift in this, in this how you refer to? No, it's a great question. And just to provide context, the book really talks about moving from a virtuous cycle of, you know, doing well by doing good to a virtuous spiral where you go from me to leaders, to the company culture, to your community and society. And at the societal level, we've got the investor class. Why is that important that they're showing up now? We haven't been able to present a viable alternative to the engine of capitalism until we have all the pieces of that engine together. And anyone who thinks that any of this change is going to happen without the money is naive. It's always all about the money and the investment investor class, large pension funds and Wall Street and so on. The reason they're showing up is they're saying, wait a second, we can't in good conscience tell our investors to put their money in this company if they're not set up to succeed in the future, if they're not going to thrive in a world that's going to be increasingly challenged by climate and so on. So they're doing it from a financial responsibility point of view. Nonetheless, they're at the table. What I talk about in the book is the need for a simpler, more universal set of ESG metrics. Why? So that people don't get confused by all the different ways companies are measuring what they're doing, because there's some intangibles, there's tangible things they measure. It's still work in progress. But most importantly, when you get a singular metric system or even two or three around the world by which you can benchmark people, it starts to become competitive. Because as I said, as these issues become more acute, and as Walmart says they're going to be the first regenerative company in the world, when Nestle, the biggest food company in the world, launches generation regeneration, it changes the marketplace. Because if you're not competing with them in terms of their social environmental governance responsibilities, 
you're not relevant. You're not competing with the industry. So we need those simplified metrics so you can benchmark and compete more effectively. And we're not quite at the point of that. Where we are right now is, oh no, shiny squirrel, ESG funds. Let's all talk about ESG. Flight of capital to that. Billions, trillions of dollars going towards ESG funds. Then people calling it out and say, oh, that's not, they don't really mean it. It's just optics. It's just the same funds by another name. So it's shaking out. And then they'll start to do it for real, which is starting now. And what needs to happen in terms of the investor class is that if, a, if consumers out there in the world want more better for you, better for the planet products, investors have got to put the dollars in those companies. Those dollars will allow those companies to grow. Those companies will steal more market share from the big guys or girls who've been doing it for 100 years who don't want to change. And then they'll look and go, wait a second, we just lost half a point or a point of market share to these young companies who are doing this. We better change. And suddenly entire industries will shift. And just don't take my word for it. Just ask yourself right now, the shift in clean beauty in the last few years where they're taking plastic out of their products and chemicals out of their products and beauty, clean food, or you know, go to any grocery store and it's all farm to table and all these different things or with beauty farm to face, you know, it's all about organic and certified and accredited and so on. Look at sustainable apparel and everyone falling over themselves in terms of recyclable gear. Look at the auto industry. 10 years ago, the traditional auto industry combustion engine wanted to shut down Tesla. 10 years later, every major automaker in the world has made commitments to transition fully to EV vehicles. So it's already going on around us, these transformations. So the investor class is critical because it allows the market forces to shift to reward those companies doing good. And for that to happen more effectively and faster, we need simplified universal ESG metrics that can allow people to compete more effectively to that end. Where in the balance sheet though, does this show up? The universal metric and language of business is based on currency. So it's that one unit that we can uh, measure. It's that we can uh, balance our lefts, our rights. Where, where does this show up in the balance sheet? And is it an investment? Um, you know, what yeah. is it specifically that we can measure in the balance sheet? Is it just it, profitability? It's a, it's a great question because you've got to ask yourself, why should you buy lead with we? Why should you apply that methodology for your business? What are you going to get for it in a healthy self-interest kind of way? Here's where it shows up everywhere. We can no longer look at business through the Milton Friedman sort of lens of fiduciary duty to shareholders alone. Look at where it's got us. Most notably of all, all the problems with it, it ignored natural capital, which is a fancy way of saying the cost to the environment for making the stuff we eat and use and buy. And when you factor that in, the vast majority of companies would not be profitable. If you factored in the cost to the natural world and our futures of all the raw materials that make all the stuff possible. So we've got to expand our definition of growth and success from profit alone to looking at the full spectrum of you know, our lives, our role in the world and how sustainable our future is. And let me get specific. Where does it show up when you lead with we in your company, whether you're a solopreneur, or whether you're a Fortune 100 company. It shows up in terms of de-risking your company, in terms of reputation damage, because whether it's these issues getting worse or it's younger people saying, we don't support companies that are creating the problem, you're at risk. 
Just look at Apple, Facebook, and Google being called out by their employees. Look at McKinsey last week, 1,400 of their employees complaining to their leadership in an open letter about the clients that they have in the oil and gas industry. You're on the hook already, reputation. Secondly, your ability to attract and keep and get the most out of the talent you want. The great resignation is going on right now. And people are reassessing where they want to work or whether they want to work at all. And so they're only going to come and stay at your company and show up if they feel like it's meaningful to their lives. And, and everyone knows if you're a business owner or a solopreneur, it costs far more to hire somebody than it does to keep somebody. So that's a bottom line benefit. Third area, innovation. When you look at the purpose of your company, it helps you decide what to make and what not to make. Why? Because people out there will buy stuff that's better for them and better for the planet. So it guides you as to what you can make instead of taking products to market that not only people won't want, but it'll make the issues like plastic or whatever else worse. Next area, relevance in terms of the, the marketing that you do. If you go out there and sell at people for the, about the product you've got, they won't listen. They don't trust marketing. They don't trust advertising. There's so much research that bears this out. But if you go out there and say, this is what the company stands for, and that's why the company exists, and these are the products we make, and here's the nature of the products, and here's what's good about them, and here's what's bad about them, and we're trying to make it better, they will co-create your success because they want to see that future realized. So you'll be relevant and resonant and meaningful to the people who buy your stuff. Mm. And then finally, it's important because you've got to be on the right side of history. These market forces are already starting to reward clean food, clean beauty, clean apparel, alternative energy vehicle companies. And as these issues get worse, they're going to reward those companies that are solving for these issues more. So the great news, if you're listening, is that every challenge in the marketplace, social challenge, environmental challenge, is a marketplace opportunity in disguise. So I think, Kevin, and the reason I'm more excited about business than ever, I think that this is the literally miraculous rebirth of business and appropriately painful like any birth, but a miraculous rebirth of business where we're going to start to work with nature rather than against nature. And we're going to start to kind of like open our eyes and go, wait a second, there's all these biological blueprints littered around us in the natural world and medicines and plants and all this stuff that we were destroying day in and day out. And now we can leverage those in a responsible way and serve nature more effectively. And I swear to God, we're going to look back in 20 or 30 years and go, we were idiots. Mm. We were absolute idiots who almost put our species out of business. Mm. I, I think you're right. And I wanted to touch on your expertise for this great resignation. And this, you've mentioned it a few times, and I think it's a really um, cheeky term. Yeah. And... I wonder like what your conversations are, are like right now with other business owners that are approaching this and wondering what the markets are going to do. Are people going to, is the employment rate going to decrease? Uh, what is the Fed going to do right now? We're seeing a lot of inflation right now, but uh, not a lot of spending in the economy, which means it's right stagged stagnation. Um, or is it crossflation? You know, are, are, are less people going to join the economy while the Fed is pumping more money into um, the, the dollar supply. Um, what, are you, what are you talking, what are your conversations like with uh, business owners that are thinking about this? 
And what do you recommend yeah. for someone who's trying to obtain that employee, who's searching for purpose, who's unfulfilled in their work right now, who wants to learn and grow? Yeah, I mean, again, it's not my opinion, but all the data, and I can, you know, point to specific uh, reports that people like, but people are now looking for a role that's going to serve them in a self-interested way because it, they want to have some meaning in their life. They've reflected over the last 18 months. They realize life is fragile. They recognize that if they're just in some dead-end job where they were just taking the money, it's not worth it, especially when there was all the government, you know, um, support. And they're really reassessing what's important to them. So in all my conversations, we work with large companies and small ones. We see that those, particularly the coalface of consumer engagement, are really struggling. There's a huge churn in terms of retail and fashion and restaurants and so on. Because people are tired, they're upset, they're struggling, and the customers are rude to them. And people are just like, peace out, I'm done. I just don't even want to deal with this anymore. And it's really, really tough. There's huge churn. Those who are actually thriving right now are those who have a clear purpose. And yes, some of them, it's just because COVID made the demand for what they make even greater, like food, for example. But the companies by and large that we see are thriving are those who say, wow, we're really well positioned to play a meaningful role in terms of like product or industry or category or whatever it is. And people are responding to that. They go, oh, I like, I like working here. 10 years ago, it was just, you know, the Toms and Unilevers of the world and so on. Now it's across the board. There are just so many different brands that are showing up in meaningful ways. And it's got to the point for me where I really struggle to see if you've just got a really transactional business that doesn't care about the impact it's having and you need to get people on board, then it just comes down to how much you're willing to pay them. And you see this race of $15 an hour, $17 an hour, $20 an hour at Amazon. And so I think it's very complicated. There's a big power shift to China right now. I think there's very complex issues on the political landscape here in the US. There's a lot of mis mixed motives and also a lot of lobbying going on that's confusing a lot of things. But in the business sector specifically, I feel like they're almost ahead of the government sector in some ways. They're saying, hey, we've got to change because we're putting ourselves out of business with our supply chains, with our employees, with the products we're making, with the plastics in the ocean, with our reputation, with consumer sentiment and loyalty. So they're trying to drive government to change. So I have a very bifurcated experience of the world right now, which is old world, we're fighting over scraps and duking it out with each other and it's ego and self-interest and who's in charge and who's powerful and who's important. And it's, holy crap, we're in trouble. We need to do something differently. Let's do it together and let's go. And I see a lot of that succeeding right now. So leadership then, the leadership to drive this change, you're optimistic about it, you're positive about it, yeah, great opportunities absolutely. all around us. Um, yeah. What do you recommend? You talk about transcendence here. You talk about yeah. all of these different stages. Are there any leaders out there that you look to that say, you know what, this, this is an example that a lot of people could follow? Oh my goodness. I mean, all the companies that are making big, bold decisions right now, whether you're two people or 200,000, you know, I mentioned Walmart and Nestle before, you know, every company that is saying, hey, it's going to cost us time and money to retool what we're doing, but we're going to do it anyway. It's just smart in my book. So whether it's Doug McMillan at Walmart or, you know, PepsiCo and Coca-Cola, they are doing things in their world that they never even considered before because they realize they've got to be on the right side of history. Um, 
But I think there's a whole class of entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs who are starting businesses that take on homelessness or recycling or so many, you know, providing more funding and capital to people of color and multicultural communities. It's I my experience is you know when you see those old war movies and you look up in the sky and a plane flies over the top and it's just littered with guys in parachutes jumping out and floating down. Mm. All of these amazing people are parachuting in to address different issues at different times. And so I'm actually very heartened. I mean, I'm sad because we've reached a, such a point of crisis that it is a moment of crisis. We've all got to re repel in, jump out of planes, parachute in and save the situation. But I see it's very, very positive. Just one example, like the Trillion Tree Project, where all this very amazing coalition of very powerful forces are coming together, corporate and otherwise, to plant a trillion trees. The US Plastic Pact, where all major retailers have come together to phase out plastic out of the products they make. EcoSkies, I mentioned. I mean, individually and collectively, all of these companies and industries are coming together and saying, we're in trouble. We're on the wrong side of history. Plus, we got to solve these issues if we want our employees, investors, and customers to stick by us. And they're showing up really meaningfully. It's definitely something to look forward to. Uh, I mean, we've been covering this space for a long time, uh, both you and Real Leaders, the company itself. I've only been in it for like the past five years, but even in those five years, you know, it's, it's really been coming from a place where you have to ex always explain it to people. Oh, you know, it's right. impact company or intentionally trying to solve. And then, you, and then less now so it's, nowadays. Less it, so, right? it's lesser and lesser nowadays. And people is like, you know, that's, that's where the world is going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you, do you see this, this going green? I mean, obviously you see this going green sentiment arising. Um, what can we learn from history, whether it's, you mentioned the global financial crisis in 2009. Um, right now I've mentioned the Fed, the Fed is pumping money. Uh, there, there are a lot of people that aren't working right now. The economy is down. Uh, GDP is down. Uh, right now, what that's what does that signal, right? A lot of uh, companies aren't going to be able to pay back loans potentially that they have out. They're going to have to restructure, refinance. Uh, so I've been hearing from a lot of uh, business owners. Um, going green, what can we learn from our past so we don't make the same mistakes? And this whole going green concept uh, is is a dub. Yeah, I mean, and I want to draw a distinction between like going green and sustainability and what is really the focus sure. now, which is yeah. re regeneration. It's really about renewing, restoring, you know, um, enabling nature's natural capacity to actually provide for us rather than trying to just sustain something or just, you know, green products in and of themselves. It, it requires a wholesale re-engineering of the entire value chain of a company from how it makes stuff all the way to how it takes it to market. but Let's look at some examples from history in terms of what's possible or lessons from the past, as you say. Every time there's been a very significant shift, there's been a very powerful narrative that played a key role. Think of Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech that really gave expression to so much pent up hope inside the country, you know, in terms of the civil rights movement. Or think of JFK with his moonshot speech where he said, we're going to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard and unleashed a decade of innovation. Think about Gandhi with peaceful resistance and how that reframed what was going on in India and more broadly around the world. You know, I think we're at a moment right now where you see so many voices in this choir of change speaking to a new narrative. And the way I articulate it is lead with we, which is 
The point of departure is I've got a responsibility to lead. I don't just share in the rewards of stakeholder capitalism. I share in the responsibilities in my daily life every day. Mm. Then I do it with as many people as possible because that will compound my impact. And then my focus is the whole, the collective we, the planet on which we depend. When you have that mindset, that new narrative, everything changes. Like what is, if you're going to lead with we, what does that mean for a CEO or someone starting a company? What does that mean for the suppliers you work with, the products you make, how you treat your people and your HR and chief people officer policies? What does it mean for your marketing and how you co-create impact with your customers? What does it mean for your community impact, philanthropic, ESG, B Corp, SDG work? What does it mean for how you work with competitors to improve the entire industry because of, they've got bad, practice, bad practices? And how, what does it mean for how you work cross-sector with all of these different you know, public sector and you've got government and so on and so on? All of this, that's what I laid out in the book. Through all of this thinking and all the examples we've seen over the last 10 years in our work at WePurse, and all the thinking that I've done in and around of how do we solve for this? How do we scale and accelerate our solutions so that the world we live in stays as close to how it is right now, but we're better serving the natural world and still driving growth? And so I laid it out step by step, each one of those different sections as you go up the virtuous spiral. Each one of those different sections as you go up the virtuous spiral and you can apply it to your business. It's about the how. This is a blueprint of how you get it done based on the best practices of dozens and dozens and dozens of highly respected companies that we've been lucky enough to work for um, and work with. And so, in my opinion, if you feel the instinct, if you feel the desire to drive, to be on the right side of history and, to, and you want to solve for these issues as well, like not just do less bad, but do more good, then this is a step-by-step -step plan that'll show you how to do it. And I have, you know, someone who's been so lucky to be working so close to this for so long, to get out there and share it with people is like, it's honestly a privilege because not everyone gets the access that I get to some companies. Not everyone gets the pattern recognition about across all these companies as to what works and what doesn't. So to be able to give that away is my selfish search for meaning in my own life. It's like, mm. how do I show up in a way? I'm, I'm not a billionaire. I can't do all the, but I can write a book based on our work that mm. shows as many companies as possible how to do it. So that's, that's why I'm super excited. Well, you know, Simon, you mentioned a lot of powerful quotes that have been uh, paradigm shifting for society. And one of my yeah. favorite quotes from Spider-Man is, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And then certainly, right. you know, if you're a leader of a large organization or a small organization, you're starting to understand you're more responsible, more more responsible for other things than just your balance sheet, than just your yep. P&L. You're responsible for all stakeholders, including the environment. So I would recommend anyone to go out there and get this book if you want to learn how to become powerful and responsible uh, by just that. So Simon, last words uh, for anyone out there who uh, is now a little bit more interested in Lead With Week. No, well, firstly, thank you to everyone's interest. And I want to thank you for a couple of things for sticking with Kevin and I through these things that we do. It's been a real pleasure to think that it, people want to kind of hear what we've got to say. So thank you. Secondly, I would say you can find out more about the book at leadwithwe.com, leadwithwe.com. It's there in the chat as well. All information, testimonials by folks who've had a chance to look at the book. And also, if you want to get a number of books for your company, 10, 100 books 
you know, for your company, it's all there. It's also on Amazon, obviously. So grab it on Amazon. And if you get it on Amazon, I would love you to please write a review because that helps raise exposure of the, of the book. But then finally, here's what I'd love to ask you, because I've only, I only do this once every 10 years. So, you know, what the hell? Um, we all have a chance to make a bit of a difference in our lives by how we show up individually as a, an employee and all those things I mentioned before. But please think of someone or a couple of people in your life that you think could benefit from this thinking. Someone who's the CEO of a company you know, or a chief marketing officer of a company, big, small, large, it doesn't matter, or an entrepreneur who's starting out. Because there is 10 years of expertise and learning from the most successful, high growth, purposeful companies in here, as well as a solution to how we scale and accelerate these solutions and growth, get it into their hands. They may not read it overnight and go, oh my God, like light bulb, here we go. But in my experience, they sit on this thinking, they reflect on it, it taps into what they want for themselves and their company anyway. And suddenly you look back and go, wait a second, I put that book in that person's hand and now they're doing something completely different. Mm. And that will be impact you can have by simply sharing the book with somebody else. I've got to get this message out to as many people as possible. The timelines we're working against are contracting, but the opportunity for businesses that do it is huge. So I just really appreciate the support, but it's go time. You know, we, we have no time to waste. So please do grab it. I'm certainly looking forward to reading it and getting into it. I'm sure I'll have many more questions uh, throughout the, this series. Um, but yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, how many business owners do we know that said that they changed their business or they're thinking they're just a book? If you're able to recommend that book to someone, the change that they can make, not only in their business, but in the world by doing something like that is just, uh, quite a powerful uh, thought to think about. Yeah, so. just post it on social too. Just check out the website, post it on social. Apparently that's a big deal now. So do that. That's awesome. Wonderful. <laughs> Uh, for Simon Maywarn, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, go to leadwithwe.com, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Simon. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks, everyone. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to get access to all of Real Leaders Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a 100 dollar a year subscription hit the link in the show notes enter in coupon code podcast 20 to receive access to all of real leaders to get you to the next level thanks for listening to this episode and always keep it real